We often tend to worship the wrong things, such as celebrities, athletes, and materialistic things, such as money, cars, and houses, when in reality, we should be worshiping the one true God. There's a big difference between who we should worship and who we do worship. I think it's really easy for us to say that we worship God and that he's number one and he's the only one in our life. But I think it's actually really easy for us to worship other aspects of our life and not even realize it. Um, for me, it can be work, it can be finances, and I think those are also common for a lot of people. But we should be worshiping God and Jesus and the Holy Trinity. But who we actually worship, I think, sometimes can be a little bit different. Um, I mean, as far as who should, uh, I think the obvious answer would be, you know, the Trinity, God, Jesus, and then, you know, bringing in the Holy Spirit. I think oftentimes, you know, we we don't, um, you know, we often see, you know, where your treasure is, your heart is as well. And I think in our daily lives, we get, you know, too focused and too caught up with our work and, and other things that we uh, enjoy where we put our treasures. And I think that's something that, that all of us, uh, you know, especially me, need to do a better job with. Absolutely. We we like to think that the right answer is to say, God, that's who we're always aiming to worship and who sh we should worship. So many other things, though, come into play in our daily lives that distract us, that take away our focus. And, and if we're not careful, become idols that we then worship in place of God. So who should we worship? That's easy. But who do we worship is a harder question for us to answer sometimes. And sometimes it's a um, gut check that we, are, we don't have our, our priorities in the right place. And we need to be reminded, just like the Israelites, all the time. That's, that's quite a question. Uh, who do we worship? What do we worship? And uh, a while back, uh, Anne, I knew she got up early. Like she said a minute ago, she gets up before the sun. And she would take the Lord's Supper. And I said, why can't I? And so she fixes it up for me the night before or the morning of. And when I wake up, get unleavened bread and the fruit of the wine. And I begin the day by knowing who I should worship. And that's God, Christ, and the Holy Spirit, and me. That, that's the who and the why of our worship. But many times I do get caught up in the day that's ahead of me, um, maybe putting job ahead of God, maybe putting sports ahead of God. And uh, we're to worship every day God, Christ, and the Holy Spirit and what they have done for us. What a fantastic gift. And as you can see, I have another gift, which helps me, helps me to worship. Thank you. Who do we worship? I think the obvious answer, I think probably 100% of Christians would just answer with one word, God. That's who we worship. But then, you know, and then we pray. Who do we pray to? Well, we pray to God. Well, who else? And I think this is interesting uh, because what Ray said is exactly what I was going to say. But I'll share this now because we said that. Uh, in scripture, Genesis, it begins by saying, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, God. 
And I've studied a little bit of Hebrew because I'm so interested in it. And that word in the Hebrew is Elohim. It ends in I am. And in Hebrew, I am is like our S. It's plural. So it's a singular word, God, but it has an S on it, an I am. So it indicates it's more than one, even though it's a singular word, it's plural. Elohim is God with an S. And that indicates right there what he said, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So we worship all of them. And so many times I start my prayers, rather than dear God, I will say dear Elohim, so I can include all of them. And of course, we all know that as Christians, and yes, we think we're doing that, and the world gets in the way. We're all guilty of that sometimes. So we need a little check once in a while to make sure we're keeping him number one. Well, welcome back to the Mission Viejo Church of Christ. And again, I want to just give a very special thank you to Carter and Amanda and the Wallings and the McPeaks for being willing to share with us and to help us really unpack this idea of truly being made to worship. I love hearing from different people, from different generations, from different backgrounds, share what they think about these subjects. And I think that that's really important for us. So thank you so much to those four families for doing that for us. And a very special thank you to Michael Wexler as well, who edited those videos for us. So thank you so much, guys. I hope that you guys are enjoying this series. I hope that you're enjoying getting to hear from some of our different members about what they feel about these topics and what they think about these topics. Um, you know, when it comes to people like the McPeaks, they just have a wealth and a world of knowledge to share with us. And I enjoy doing uh, these interviews and, and, and getting this feedback probably as much as the people doing it um, were involved. I've even tried to encourage the McPeaks to write a book. So if you guys are watching, um, write this stuff down. You guys have so much great information to share with our church family here at Mission Viejo. So again, thank you so much. And I hope that you guys are enjoying this series. Today, we're going to move forward in our series. And originally, I kind of changed gears a little bit. Originally, I was going to unpack who do we worship, but I don't think I could have done it any better than what the people in the videos did for you today. So I'm going to leave it at that. We know that we worship the one true and living God, and I'm going to leave it there. But we're going to talk about something a little bit different today, and I think it's going to be fun. And I think you sports fans especially are going to love this lesson today. So let's go ahead and jump in. Now, last week, we talked about what is worship. And today, we were going to talk a little bit about who do we worship. And I think we've kind of already unpacked that. We know that we need to put God first. And when we do that, then we're truly worshiping him in everything that we say and do. So today we're going to talk about a tale of three fans. And I hope this is going to be interesting for you, but we're going to look at three different types of fans of God and try to figure out where you and I fit on this spectrum from from one end of the spectrum to the other. I want you to think as we unpack this today of who you most identify yourself with of the three main characters from our story today. So let's go ahead and jump right in. This is part two of Made to Worship, which is a tale of three fans. Now, we know that the bottom line is we worship the true and living God, and all of our worship should be for him. So today we're going to look at three different people from the Old Testament and how they worshiped and what does that look like for us today. So 
I want to look at some examples of some different fans. Now, this is obviously a Broncos fan. Um, he's got his face painted. He's got the Bronco characters or the figurines on his shoulders. He's got the jersey. He's got some necklaces going. You would say this guy's pretty, you know, pretty out there fanatical fan. Now, let's look at a couple more. This one is uh, going to be Green Bay Packers fans. Um, and as some of you know, Green Bay Packers fans, they're lovingly known as cheeseheads. Um, they tend to get dressed up for games, and they tend to, to really go all out because they want everybody to know who their team is. Now, I want you to hang on to that thought. They want everybody to know who their team is, and we're going to unpack that a little bit later on as we move forward with our story. And this last picture is, again, cheeseheads, um, because they tend to have the most pictures out there of these fanatical fans. But I want you to get this image in your head. I want you to get this image of your head of somebody who is just your super uber fan, so to speak, who's just out there and doesn't care what anybody else thinks, because I'm sure some of you look at this picture and go, I would never go out in public looking like this. Now, that's partially true for me, because you wouldn't catch me dead in a Packers jersey, but my point is, they don't care what anybody else thinks. They are just fanatical about their team. And what I want to challenge you to think about today is, are you just as fanatical about God as these fans are about their NFL sports teams? And I kind of focused on just the NFL teams today because we're in the, you know, in the heart of the playoffs for the NFL. But this, this, this goes to any type of sport. Soccer fans are, are kind of out there sometimes. You see some baseball fans that are out there. But, but I want you to get this image in your head of just this fanatical fan. This fan that just goes all out for his team with signs and costumes and dress up and face paint and everything else. But they don't care because they're so fanatical about their teams. So today we're going to talk about the Ark of the Covenant, and I thought it would be appropriate just to talk really briefly about the Ark of the Covenant. And, and here's a picture for you, and, and maybe when you think of the Ark of the Covenant, if you're like me, maybe Raiders of the Lost Ark comes to mind, the Indiana Jones movie, um, which is a great movie, of course. But, but there is actually some truth that comes out during that movie, but, but this is kind of a picture of the Ark, and I want you to have this in your head as well when we think about this, this whole idea of the Ark and what it was and the significance of it. And if you kind of look at the way it's set up, it's kind of this big box with the cherubim on the top, and it was said that God's presence then, you know, rested in between those two cherubims. And then inside the ark were um, sacraments that were very meaningful to the people at this time. So, for example, the Ten Commandments were in the ark, and Aaron's staff was in the ark. So this was a, a very important piece. This was not just an archaeological piece. This was a very important religious piece because it was thought that where the ark goes, God goes also. So it's important that you understand that as we get ready to unpack this today, because we're going to talk a lot about the ark, and we're going to talk about the fact that, you know, we know the ark was stolen at one point by the Philistines, and today's story is going to be about David and his attempt to retrieve and bring back the ark to God's people. So I want you to kind of understand that as we get ready to move forward. Now, if you have your Bibles or your Bible app or wherever you like to, to, to read Scripture from, I want to encourage you to open up with me to 2 Samuel chapter 6. And that's where we're going to spend our time today is in 2 Samuel chapter 6. And I want to encourage you as we read this, let's read this together. 
And you don't necessarily have to read it out loud, of course, but, but I want you to really read and think about these words with me today. Now, there's a lot of names in today's story. So for some of you who may be Bible scholars, I apologize if I get those names wrong. I will do my best. Um, but that's not what really what's important. What's important is this story. And I want you to look for these three fans that we're going to pick out as we go through our story. So let's jump in to 1 Samuel chapter 6, starting in verse 1. It says, David again brought together all the abled young men of Israel, about 30,000. He and all of his men went to Balaam in Judah to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name, the name of the Lord Almighty, who is entered between the cherubim of the ark. Now, you'll hear it referred to sometimes in this story in the writing of the Old Testament as the Ark of God, the Ark of the Covenant. It's all kind of one and the same, so don't let that kind of throw you off as we read through our story. But, but we're talking about David's attempt to bring back the Ark. So we jump ahead to verse 3, and it says, They set the Ark of God on a new cart and brought it from the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. Uzzah and Ahio, sons of Abinadab, were guiding the new cart with the ark of God on it, and excuse me, and Ahio was walking in front of it. So remember, there's some things you need to understand about the ark of the covenant. You weren't allowed to touch the ark of the covenant. Now, if you notice in the picture that I showed you just a few moments ago, you have this large box, and then you had poles on each side. And that's how the Ark would have been carried. You you weren't to touch the Ark of the Covenant. That was like a big no-no. You didn't touch the Ark. And if you did touch the Ark, there were severe consequences involved. So that's why if you notice, and and if you look at this verse closely, it says that it was on a cart, and they were kind of guiding the cart, right? Because this would have been extremely heavy, and they would put it on the cart. And again, no one's touching the Ark, but this is how they're moving the Ark from one location to another, Now, in verse 5, we see David and all Israel were celebrating with all their might before the Lord with (laughs) castanets, harps, lyres, timbrels, sistrums, and cymbals. So here here we see our first fan of our story, right? Because remember, I told you there'd be three fans, and the first one is David. And we see that it says, David and all Israel were celebrating with all their might. So, so this is what comes to my mind when I think of David celebrating, and we're going to see how he celebrates a little bit later on where he gets even more wound up. But we're going to see that David is like those fans that we saw the picture of, right? He's going, yay God, yay God, and he's throwing his arms in the air and he's celebrating and he's dancing and he's so excited about the return of the Ark of the Covenant and the return of the presence of God that it says he celebrated with all his might, So that's our first fan that we're going to look at today. Our first fan is David. And David celebrates with all his might. He worships with all his might. And he's so excited. He's that fan that doesn't care what anybody else thinks. He's jumping up and down. He's screaming at the top of his lungs. He's dancing in the streets. So David is our first fan. And he's that fanatical one that would have had his face painted. You know, if if Yahweh had a mascot, he'd he'd have been dressed up like that mascot and had his face painted and been jumping around. We know David had his faults. But David knew how to worship. So let's go ahead and move forward to verse 6. Verse 6 says, When they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah reached out and took hold of the ark of God, because the oxen had stumbled. So we just talked about the fact that you don't touch the ark. 
You don't touch the ark or you can face severe consequences. But what happened is, in the heat of the moment, the oxen stumbled and Uzzah's immediate response was to grab the ark. His immediate response was, I've got to do something so that the ark doesn't fall. I've got to do something so that this this important piece that holds the presence of God doesn't fall to the ground. But Uzzah, you know you're not supposed to touch the ark. But he does so anyway. And if we look ahead to verse 7, it says, The Lord's anger burned against Uzzah because of his irreverent act. See, this was considered irreverent to God because God had made it very clear, you don't touch the ark. It says, therefore, God struck him down and he died there besides the ark of God. Uzzah's our second fan. Uzzah's the second, the second personality that I want to look at this morning. And that's that person that thinks they know more than God. See, Uzzah's that guy that throws up his hands and goes, no, 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 no. Because, see, he didn't trust God enough to know that God would take care of the ark. And he said, I've got to do it for him. You ever found yourself in that situation? You ever found yourself in that situation where where you know you're supposed to do something, but you go, no, 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 no. I know the Bible says I shouldn't, but he doesn't understand things are different. He doesn't understand my situation. See, Uzzah was that person that thought he knew more than God. And he thought he had to act on God's behalf. And it says that the Lord's anger burned. And the Lord's anger burned because Uzzah was basically saying, look, God, I don't trust you enough to protect the ark, so I've got to do it for you. So our second fan is the one that goes, no, 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 no. I have to do it myself because he didn't trust God enough to do it for him. Now, obviously, we're not going to be in the presence of the ark, and we're not going to be, you know, rolling it through the streets, and we're not going to have to worry about the ark falling or touching the ark. But do we do the same thing sometimes? Do we not trust God's going to take care of things, so we try and do it ourselves? You know, there's a story way back in the Old Testament about Abraham, who didn't trust that God was going to give his wife a baby, so he, he went out and had a baby with one of the servants. It's that same concept. See, we've got to trust God enough to know that he's got it. We don't have to do it for him. He's got it. Now, that's not to say we don't do things for God, because of course we do. But we need to trust him enough that he's going to take care of us. Uzzah forgot that, and God made an example out of him. When we look ahead to verse 8, it says, Then David was angry because the Lord's wrath had broken out against Uzzah. And to, the de- and to this day, that place is called perez Uzzah. So here we see our first fan, right, David, and he's upset. Because he, he thinks, just like you and I, were, our probably first inclination was, look, Uzzah was just trying to help God. But see, God had made it very clear of what his expectations were. Don't touch the ark. And what happened to Uzzah when he touched the ark? God struck him down right then and there. See, we we find ourselves in these situations, right, where we know what the Bible tells us to do, and we know what we're supposed to do, but we want to go our own way. Look, I know the Bible says this, but it was written a long time ago, so I'm just going to do this. Or, I know the Bible says this, but because of my situation, I'm going to do it anyway. God makes it very clear that when he sets an expectation for us and we don't follow it, he gets angry. And in this case, he carried out his wrath on Uzzah. Let's go ahead and jump ahead to verse 9. 
In verse 9, it says, David was afraid of the Lord that day and said, how can the ark of the Lord ever come to me? He was not willing to take the ark of the Lord to be with him in the city of David. Instead, he took it to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. So now David doesn't know what to do. David is now afraid of the Lord, and he's like, ah, if I bring the ark in, if I take it to my city, then I may end up doing the same thing that Uzzah did. I might accidentally touch it, and I might be struck down. So now we see David's afraid, right? He doesn't know what to do. Do I bring the ark? Do I not bring the ark? What do I do? So David hesitates, and he takes it somewhere else. He says, I'm not bringing this to me just yet. I'm going to take it over here and let them deal with it because I'm afraid of what the consequences might be. Let's jump ahead to verse 11. It says, The ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, for three months, and the Lord blessed him and his entire household. See, God blessed him because the presence of God was near. See, they weren't afraid of the ark, and they took the ark in, and God blessed them. Because, see, they invited God into their lives. And they invited God into their home, and he blessed them. See, we've got to do the same thing. We've got to invite God into our lives and stop trying to push God out of our lives. We're in a point in time where it seems like in society, everybody wants to push God out. No prayer in school. No prayers before sporting events. They want to push God out. But what does the Bible teach us? When does God bless us? When we invite God in. When we bring God in, he blesses us. Now, it doesn't go into details about specifically how he blessed them. Maybe maybe the crops grew 10 feet tall. Maybe the roosters were the size of dogs. I don't know how he blessed them exactly. But we know that he blessed them because they invited God in. Brothers and sisters, we have to do the same thing. We've got to invite God in and stop pushing him out. Stop thinking that God's not enough. Invite him in and he'll bless us. Chapter 12 and 13, excuse me, verse 12 and 13 says, Now King David was told, the Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and everything he has because of the ark of God. So word gets back to David, hey, God's doing amazing things over there where they invited him in. And now David's going, wait a minute, maybe I need to rethink this. Maybe I need to to go get the ark and and bring it back over here so that he can bless us the way that he's blessing them. So David's starting to, to, to rethink this idea, right? It says, so David went to bring the ark of God from the house of Obed Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. See, once again, we talked about David. He's the Uber fan, right? He's rejoicing at the idea of inviting the ark back into their lives. It says, with those who were carrying the ark of the Lord, had taken six steps, he sacrificed a bull and a fatted calf. So (laughs) let's think about that, okay? Remember, they're they're putting the ark up on their shoulders, right? Because remember, we we can't touch the ark, so we've got the poles, right, that run through the ark, so they're they're carrying it. And they made it about six steps, and they went, whoa, 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 let's stop here, and let's make a sacrifice. So see, David was kind of hedging his bets, right? <laughs> he was saying, okay, we've we, we got a good start, but let's not get carried away. Let's stop. Let's make our sacrifices to God, and let's thank him for allowing us to bring the ark back. Verse 14 says, Wearing a linen ephod, David was dancing before the Lord with all his might. 
Now, just to kind of clarify, in case you're not uh, hip on fashion from this time, it basically means that David stripped down to his underwear and started dancing in the streets. Now, I am not recommending that you do this. Not only will you get some crazy looks from your neighbors, you may get the cops called as well. But David was so excited. See, he was that uber fan with the face painted and the, and the Broncos sitting on his shoulders, right? He is so excited, he strips down to his underwear and is dancing in the streets because that's how he worshipped God. He didn't care what anybody else thought. He literally stripped down to his underwear and danced in the streets. It says, while he and all of Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and sounds of trumpets. You know, if you've been to a soccer game, you know, they, they use the, the plastic horns that they blow. Or, or sometimes, especially in the Midwest where I'm from, you hear cowbells at sporting events, right? And that's kind of what they were doing. They were so excited. Just like we talked about earlier with David, yay God, yay God. They were so excited that they were dancing in the streets because they had invited this presence of God back into their lives. Verse 16 says, As the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michael, the daughter of Saul, watched from a window. And when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. Now, quick history lesson in case you have forgotten. Michael, who was the son of the previous king, Saul, was married to David. She's watching this take place. She's not happy that her husband is out there dancing in the streets in his underwear. Now, some of you ladies may be going, hey, neither would I be. But you have to remember the context. David was doing this as a form of worship because he was so excited about what God was going to do in their lives. But Michael is our third fan, and she's not happy. And for those of you who are married, you know the old saying, when mama's not happy, nobody's happy. Michael's not happy. Michael's not happy. Why? Because Michael cares what other people think. And she is more worried about that than she is David's worship to God. Let's jump ahead. Verses 17 and 18 says, They brought the ark of the Lord, and they set it in a place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings before the Lord. It says, after he had finished sacrificing the burnt offerings and the fellowship offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord Almighty. So they've brought the ark back. They've placed it in its place of honor in the tent. They gave their sacrifices to the Lord. And then David blessed the people in the name of the Lord. Verse 19 says, then he gave a loaf of bread and a cake of dates and a cake of raisins to each person in the whole crowd of Israelites. It says, both men and women, and all the people went to their homes. So David blessed them. He was so excited, he gave them gifts and basically sent them home. See, all is good. The ark is back. David's given them food. He's blessing them and basically sending them on their way. Verse 20. Verse 20 says, When David returned home to bless his household, Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet him and said, How the king of Israel has distinguished himself today, going around half naked in full view of the slave girls, of her servants, of, excuse me, of his servants, as any vulgar fellow would. Again, Michael's not happy. 
She's not happy that David is dancing in around in the streets in his underwear in front of the servant girls. Michael's our third fan. And she's the one that's so worried about what everybody else thinks that she's let it cause problems not only in her home, but with the way David worships, worships God. See, Michael's that person that today would be so worried about what other people think that they doctor up their photos that they place online or they use filters because they've got to project this image that everything is perfect and everything is happy and everything is fantastic because they're so worried about what other people think. As most of you know, I'm the youth minister. and, and, And one of the things we talk a lot about with the youth is how they carry themselves at school, which these days... (laughs) <laughs> is at home in front of a computer and a camera, but, but how they carry themselves in school. And, and one of the things I always ask them is, do, do you do little things? Like, do, do, you, do, you, do you pray for your meal at, at lunch in the cafeteria? And, and that's hard when you're a teenager. And I'm not criticizing the teenagers. I love my kids. But the number one response I get is, is I'm afraid to. Because they're worried about what people will think of them. And see, that's what Michael did. Michael was so worried about what other people would think that it caused problems in not only her household, but in her marriage. And we'll see in just a moment, it had even dire consequences than that. When we jump ahead to verses 21 and 22, we read, David said to Michael, it was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father. Because remember, Saul was the king, now David is the king. It says, or anyone from his house when he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people Israel. It says, I will celebrate before the Lord. I love that. I will celebrate before the Lord. It says, I will become even more undignified than this, and I will be humiliated in my own eyes. But by these Slave girls you spoke of, I will be held in honor. Again, David made some mistakes. If you know the story of David, we know that David made some mistakes. But David knew how to worship. And he says to his wife, I don't care what other people think. I'm going to worship God the way that I want to worship God. See, he's like those pictures that we looked at in the beginning, right? Of these this crazy over-the-top fans. They don't care what anybody else thinks. They don't care. They're going to do what they want to do to show their love for their team, just like David is going to do what he needs to do to show love for God. Are we the same way? What what does that even look like for us? Does that mean we need to to go out into the neighborhood with with Jesus painted across our chest or our face painted or, or carrying a giant cross? No, that's not necessarily what that looks like. But what it means is don't be worried about what other people think when it comes to the way that you worship. It doesn't matter what the world thinks. It matters what God thinks. And he's done enough for us in every day of our lives that he deserves the kind of worship that David gave. And I don't know what that looks like. Maybe that does look like saying a prayer at work. Maybe that does look like talking to your coworkers about Jesus. It's going to look different for each and every one of us. But are we like David? Again, I'm not saying strip down to your underwear and dance in the streets. But, but what I'm saying is, do we have that same passion when it comes to our worship for God? 
I hope that we do. I pray that we do. I pray that we worship God and don't care what anybody else thinks. And yes, I get it. That's easier said than done. But that's what we should be striving for is to be like David in his manner of worship. Let's look at the last verse to wrap this up. And uh, the last verse is, is kind, of a, kind of a downer. It's kind of a bummer. It kind of, uh, kind of wraps up our story in not the most positive light. But remember, what did Michael just do? She just criticized David for his worship. Because remember, she's the one that cares more about what other people think than she does what her husband is doing in his worship. And it says, And Michael, the daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. So, so we don't know exactly what happened. One of two things happened. Either she became barren because God was upset with her, or maybe this caused such a rift in their marriage that they just didn't tango anymore. I don't know, but we know that this impacted the rest of her life by being so worried about what other people think. So here's the question that I have for you today. Which fan are you? Are you, are you the guy in the first picture who at least he's got the team right? He's a Cowboys fan, but, but he's, you know, he's painted from, from head to toe and, and he's, yay God, he's the fanatic worshiper. Or are you Uzzah, the guy in the middle who's standing there with his arms crossed because he knows better than God? Or are you Michael? Are you so worried about what other people think that it causes problems in your home, in your spiritual life? and for those around you. Which fan are you? I want you to think about that this morning. Are you the fanatical fan? Are you the doubting fan that just doesn't think God does enough or can do enough? Are you the one that's so worried about what everybody thinks that you don't worship God the way that David did because you're worried about what the world thinks about you, because you're worried about your image? I want you to think about that this morning. So what does this mean for us? It means that we should worship God without worrying about what other people think. We need to not worry about what the world thinks because at the end of the day, that doesn't matter. We need to worry about what God thinks and he deserves all of our worship. So here's some things that I want you to remember. Dance like no one's watching. And what I mean by that is worship God as if it's just you and him. And my prayer for all of us, of course, is that one day it will be just us and him. When we make it to heaven and we have nothing to do but worship God every day. Be like David. Don't be so concerned about what other people think. And remember that we worship the one true and living God who loves us. He loves us so much that he was willing to send his son to die for us. Those are the things that I want to leave you with that I want you to think about this week. Is what kind of fan are you and what kind of fan do you want to be? You know, in just a moment, we're going to have another song. It's called the Song of Invitation, but it's a chance for you to reflect on some of the things that we've talked about this morning. And it's a chance for you to reflect on your life as a Christian. Maybe you've never had, a, had the chance to be baptized to put on Christ in baptism, to be forgiven of your sins, and to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Maybe you've not had the opportunity to do that. What a great way to start 2021 by committing your life both personally and publicly to Christ. And we can help you do that.
Or maybe, maybe you've been like Uzzah and you've just doubted God or you haven't fully trusted God. Or maybe you've fallen away from your relationship with God. What a great chance to come back. And we would love to help you and talk to you and pray with you and do anything that we can to help you restore that relationship with God. Wherever you may be, if you're here in the courtyard or if you're at home, I want to invite you to stand and I want you to sing together with us now. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, O oh my soul, worship his holy name. Sing like never before, O oh my soul, I'll worship your holy name. I'll worship your holy name. Well, once again, I want to thank you so much for joining us here at the Mission Viejo Church of Christ. Whether you're in our at-home audience on our live stream or whether you're here in the courtyard, it is just great that we are still able to be together as a church family. Just a couple quick reminders for you. We have our Wednesday night Bible study at 7 o'clock, and that link goes out via email during the week, and we hope that you'll join us for our Wednesday night Bible study that's led by Brother Glenn Roberts. Also, we have our youth group that'll meet in the courtyard on Wednesday night from 6.30 to 7.30 as well. And then next week, we'll be back here at 10.15 for our children's worship and at 10.30 for our main worship service as we continue to unpack Made to Worship. I hope that you'll be able to join us. Would you please join me in a word of closing prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this beautiful day that you've given us, and we're thankful for this opportunity that we still have to come together. And even though that may look a little bit different, we're thankful that we're able to still be the church and still be a church family. Heavenly Father, as we get ready to move into a new week, we pray that we will continue to invite you in, because we know that when we invite you into our lives and our homes, that you will continue to bless us. Heavenly Father, we pray that you will just help us to be like David, Help us to be like David and, and not only follow what you're asking us to do, but not be worried about what other people think. Help us just to continue to celebrate our relationship with you. Help us to continue to celebrate the amazing things that you've done in our lives. Heavenly Father, we are thankful so much that you love us enough to send your son. It's in his precious name that we pray. Amen. Well, again, thank you so much for being with us. Have a wonderful week. Holy roar of God resound. Hear the holy roar of God resound. Watch the waters part before us now. Watch the waters part before us now. Come and see what He has done for us. Tell the world of His great love. Our God is a God who saves. Our God is a God who Run 
run for sure. His enemies will run for sure. The church will stand, she will endure. The church will stand, she will endure. He holds the keys of life, our Lord. Death has no sting, no final word. 